BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. I'm bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. Guys being dudes. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man. Thank you, Lee. Alex, you know, in some corners of the football world, today is, I would say, something of a a joyous occasion, maybe. Um, One of celebration uh, and of great... uh, Great reveling in the exploits of a renowned player's career. But look, at the end of the day, I'm looking at a former Michigan quarterback who was, you know, 61% completion percentage, threw for 2,400 yards one year, threw for 2,200 yards another year, 30 touchdowns against 17 interceptions as a starter. I mean, eh, I I don't really get what the big deal is. Are you talking about Chad Henney? Because he won a playoff game this year. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Chad Henney drove the ball 98 yards against one Jacksonville Jaguars. That was pretty tough. No. So Chad Henney is going to I don't think Chad Henney was on one of Tom Brady's Michigan teams, but Chad Henney's NFL career will not be longer, but Chad Henney will still be here when Tom Brady is not. And that is not something I had on my bingo card. No, look, we have a lot of respect for the what 15 year backup NFL QB who makes 30 something mil in his career, Chase Daniel. I'm making up that number, but Chase Daniel from Mizzou is maybe the, the classic archetype here. Blaine Gabbert also for, actually, wow. What, what does Mizzou have in the water, Richard? You're going to Tom Brady's backup <laughs> has been Blaine Gabbert. He is still in the league. Blaine Gabbert lasts longer than Tom Brady. Uh, wow. Yeah. It would be fun. It, tweet at us. If you've got it, uh, the most random quarterback you can imagine who outlasted Tom Brady in the league, who had a career of longer than like five years. And wow, we will have some shockers because I thought this guy might go until he was 50 to be totally honest. Yeah. He is he is actually 45. Yes, right now, I believe Um, he is. I think I'm looking at this thing right now. Yeah, I think he's actually 45 years old. He is Uh, 45, 45 years, 182 days. Uh, He obviously would have been 46 by the time the end of the season of the end of the this 2023 season. If he stuck around, it seems like he's going to leave to be a family man or mend his family, maybe. Uh, And uh we'll see if he ends up on tv taking greg olson's spot greg olson good color analyst should keep the job in my opinion yeah the fox nfl crew this year has done a nice job with him and kevin burkhardt i think they've been 
arguably the best NFL crew this year. That's your that's your Super Bowl crew, by the way. That is your Super Bowl crew, by the way. Uh, anyway, Tom Brady no longer playing football. Uh, Tom Brady's no longer with us. Mich- Michigan <laughs> fans, uh, obviously. I will have feelings sobbing about in that. the streets. I, yeah, clearly. I mean, I I've always gotten the sense that Michigan fans really uh, live and die with Tom Brady's success. It's pretty, no, it's you, pretty much the only thing they look at. Alex, I, I like. I think you actually bring up something really interesting there. I'm very curious about Michigan fans claiming him, or and do Michigan's fit like I, like F- Florida people fucking claimed Tim Tebow. The year that he yeah. was with the Broncos, right? Yeah. Um, and, and this happened like I Texas. Te- I was actually at the um when I was at that Chiefs game. There was a guy like a, a couple rows away from me in Texas Tech stuff, um, uh, wearing like a Mahomes throwback jersey, right? They, um, I, I think we deal with this with Florida State, um, and Dion. Like, not a lot of Florida State people don't really claim Dion from for his NFL exploits. You know, what I mean, there there are some of those instances, and it's not like Tom Brady's never been back to Michigan. Like Tom Brady is fairly active yeah. as a Michigan alum and it shows up to the big house and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking out of school no, here. But it, I think you're right. I like, I think you, yeah. I think you're onto something. It, it's, it's just a funny way that college football people that we compartmentalize players. I think like, like he's not Tennessee Peyton Manning. No, no, he's not. And he's, he's not even Michigan Denard Robinson to be honest with you. I, I mean that it, like, I, it's, it's just kind of a funny thing. Like the, the way that players are remembered. Um, I, I th- suspect that we will hear from a number of Michigan fans who are listening to this who say, yeah, like I, I rooted for the guy. I remembered him when he was a fine, solid quarterback here. You know, some people overstate the underdog story of Brady at Michigan. They're like, Oh, he barely played drew Henson. That's not true. Played a lot of games. Um, he was a solid Michigan quarterback, but it, it is, you know, you would not have a hard time identifying probably if you gave us 10 minutes, Richard, we could probably name 20 Michigan players who Michigan fans have been more, more jazzed about, more excited about while they've been there and in their rookie, in their first couple of years in the NFL, than the greatest player of all time. And that's just a funny thing about when you are great and like when you set yourself apart in this sport as being something different than everybody else. I don't know. But you know what? I think he had a good career. I think that when we look back on Brady's career, we're going <laughs> to yeah. say- <laughs> We're gonna say this guy was was pretty effective uh, at this. Yeah, at no, this yeah, it's yeah. This guy won some games. I, I, Bill Barnwell of ESPN has a tweet that you could basically cut his career in half, and you have like two insane Hall of Fame careers. Just insane player. We do move from a college football NFL hybrid to just college football. Richard, quick news of the week before we get into the AAC and American Athletic Conference conference uh, conference reviews. It's schedule release week for several leagues. Uh, You wrote about this at Sports Illustrated. I will let you lead us. I have just one note on the Big 12 schedule, uh, which I was the only thing that I was watching for. And (laughs) you were were ready for this. Uh, I, I was prepared to eat a hat if Texas got to host Houston this year or did not have to visit Houston. Uh, And of course I will not have to eat that hat. The one, the one surest thing on the big 12 schedule release did happen, which is that the Texas Longhorns have to play a road game against the Houston Cougars. And I'm excited about that. You know, two similarly situated programs, SWC rivals. I'm sure both alumni bases will be equally excited. Uh, You know, neither (laughs) team has made, for instance, a college football playoff. They're both kind of on the rise. I really think it's exciting, you know, both of these teams getting ready for for sort of a new era and a new conference. Excited for everybody. 
And I'm sure Texas fans are going to be very excited to go to Houston for this game. Actually, I'm bullshitting, but some of them will because Texas Texas has to have thousands some of, of most alums. Fucking, yeah, yeah, right. Like most of them live in Houston. I think this may be one of those games where like you look and this is, I guess, if Houston's not very good this year or, or doesn't live up to expectations where like it's like completely burnt orange. It's like when Georgia goes to Georgia Tech and it's like in, it's just red. The whole place is red. I'm guessing um, that Houston takes some active measures to prevent that. Honestly, uh, all right. Yeah. Good luck. We'll, we'll see how they do. I mean, it, it'll be hard because it's not like you can zip code fence it when, like we said, Texas has countless fans. Texas is Texas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes. but yeah. So the Big 12 schedule and, and the AC, the Big 12 and the ACC that came out um, within 48 hours of each other, the Pac-12 schedule came out uh, on like the 14th or something like that a while ago. Um, sorry, we didn't talk about it. Whatever. Um, the SEC and the Big 10 schedule have been or 2023 schedules have been out since uh, the fall. Both of those teams, uh, excuse me, both of those leagues did their business expeditiously moving forward. Um as far as I, I think we'll take the Big 12 first. We'll talk about the ACC for a little bit. But the Big 12 schedule, interesting because, remember, there are 14 Big 12 teams this year. Um, and, I, you know, I, tech, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston are being added. Texas and Oklahoma are still in the league this year. I don't think when it was announced that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving the conference to go to the sec, I did not think Texas or Oklahoma would spend 2023 in the big 12. Um, I, I will believe it when I see it, that they will be spending 2024 in the big 12 uh, before leaving for the sec. Yes. I moved the goalposts, but you know, such is life. It's my podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and so, so um, so we'll see. I, yes, it's very funny that Houston is um, that Texas is going at Houston. Texas is also playing Rice, by the way. Texas is playing Rice, Houston. And in addition to the other former Southwest Conference standouts, they have five Southwest Conference games this season. Um, we'll see if they can win the Southwest Conference or the Big 12 Conference. Richard, why does Rice play Texas? Why, why do we why do we choose to go to the moon and do the other things we do these um, things not because they are easy but because they are hard wow that's somebody clip that please somebody clip that um the debutantes open uh byu goes to kansas uh september 30th ucf goes to k-state september 23rd cincinnati hosts oklahoma in its conference opener by the way september 23rd oklahoma will uh will go to nippert i imagine that place will be jazzed houston plays tcu on the 16th um uh, oklahoma state and west virginia actually get all four of the new teams this year um oklahoma state gets four uh uh, gets all four of them in the last five weeks of the season. Uh, the only other game in that five week stretch for Oklahoma state is bedlam, which will probably be the last bedlam. If Oklahoma and Texas leave the league uh, at the end of this season, um, bedlam is probably going away or going on hiatus for a little bit, kind of like the backyard brawl did. Um, it'll be back ag again. It'll be back. I think it'll be back too. Um, I think it's one of those situations where, you need some years away and then everybody grows up and you just play the game as usual. Um, there are plenty of sec teams who have showed you that you can play an out of conference game and it's not the end of the world against a good team. Um, hell, I, when I state, do it like you can do it if you have the political will to do it. 
you can absolutely do it. And eventually the fan base demand is there. It, Actually, it, it, it just happens. Alex, in a 12 team playoff world where losses are a little less precious, I think you can kind of. You can make it. Uh, uh, you can. I think you can. It's it's easier to stomach, frankly. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it, I, I think a good example of this, you take like a school like Penn State, where Penn State member did like a four year re up with Pitt after they had had a long time, very historic rivalry. They didn't play for like 20 years. The first year of that was the year that Pitt beat Penn State, and it wound up being the difference between Penn State making a 14 playoff and not. This is a bad example because I think Penn State just doesn't really want to play Pitt because they view themselves as above that now. Um, but I think that it is like, it is a good example of what I'm talking about or what you're talking about, where in a 12-team world, you can afford to take a bigger swing with an extra non-conference game because you are not going to get shoved out based on that one loss if you take care of business the rest of the year. I think there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The Big 12 stacks its rivalry weekend the week before uh, Thanksgiving weekend. It's it's a little imperfect because obviously uh, Bedlam, uh, I should say Bedlam is on that week, but Red River is not. Red River is is obviously the week of the state fair, so it's a little bit earlier. Um, but as as far as the other kind of sort of natural rivalries in the Big Twelve, um, uh, Baylor, TCU, uh, Cincinnati, West Virginia, which at least regionally is going to be a natural rivalry, and Bedlam play the week before Thanksgiving weekend. Um, nobody, by the way, nobody gets Texas and OU uh, in back to back weeks of note. Richard, on the Atlantic Coast Conference schedule takeaways, uh, you have something in here about the Miami Bowl between Miami, Florida, playing Miami of Ohio. Didn't know that was happening. That's really something. Uh, I learned a little something about college football this past weekend. So I was in Miami because my girlfriend was running a race Which in Miami. Miami. Uh, good point. Uh, Miami, Ohio. Yes. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chilly. Uh, Chilly for a girl. But anyway, uh, so we, we get to South Florida. And I learned, I didn't, I don't think I even really knew this. I knew that they were two separate places, but Miami beach is a whole separate city with a whole separate mayor than Miami. Oh, yeah. I, I know that Florida oh, yeah. people, like you saw, anyone from South of the Mason Dixon is just going to like, like, how'd you not know this? I didn't know they literally had a separate mayor. I thought that it was like, I don't know, a municipality or a suburb or something, or, or even a giant neighborhood. I have no idea. But the thing that I'm disappointed about is that I do not believe that the Miami beach bowl is actually played <laughs> anywhere near in Miami, Beach Miami Beach because I noted the baseball stadium where that game has been played, and that was clearly not in the part of the city that was Miami Beach. Uh, misleading. Just uh, now, this truth in advertising is really important, and that game is not in Miami Beach. I'm sure you, f- I'm sure you feel this way when you watch a Commanders game. And they say they show like images of the Capitol <laughs> and like the national lawn, yes. like coming out of the break. The and then they Mall. take you back yes. to FedEx field. Or the, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, and then they take you back to FedEx field. Um, obviously, I feel similar when uh, they show the Manhattan skyline and then go right to Giant Stadium. Um, so, yes, it's the same type of deal. It's like 45 minutes away um, in kind of sort of Fort Lauderdale. It's it's far. The stadium is. Um, yeah, the Miami's play. Oh, right. It's the, even farther than I thought. They, open play, the they play that game. Right. Yeah. It's anyway, not Miami Beach. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Miami's open the season. The open the Miami's play. Um, they have played three times in history, actually, but they've only played once since the 40s, which is in 1987. Um, as you can imagine, the 1987 Miami Hurricanes beat the fuck out of the 1987 Miami um, 
not sure of the mascot at that time. Uh, if you are interested in Miami of Ohio and its mascot history, you should go look that up because they haven't been the Red Hawks forever. Anyway, uh, Louisville, uh, Louisville draws an easy slate uh, on paper with its ACC schedule. The cards avoid Florida State, and North Carolina, who I will be, I think, pretty high on this season because of the quarterback uh, and Clemson in Jeff Brom's first season at, uh, at Louisville. They do get Notre Dame and NC State. It's not all like sunshine and roses, um, but the cards do avoid, I think, three of the real deal ACC favorites. Um, I, Louisville also avoids Miami. Sorry. Um, uh, Sam Hartman Bowl. Pay attention to that. Circle that in your calendars. November 18th, Notre Dame hosts Wake Forest in South Bend. Um, Duke had a funny um, Duke had a funny video kind of memeing Dabo um, for its ACC opener. Um, and Sarah, how how psyched are you, Alex, to come on down to the big city for the hundredth anniversary of apparently the first college football game in Yankee Stadium, Syracuse and Pitt gonna get it on in a spiritual pinstripe bowl i think it's funny that the hundred year anniversary of the first football game in yankee stadium is like a thing that is worth commemorating especially considering that it's not the same building but sure that's fine whatever like you know why not let's go to new york city fun place to be uh and Hopefully it's memorable for everyone playing and everyone attending. Richard, you've got some other games on here. Clemson FSU. That is a game where, and I'm not predicting this now, but like where for the first time in several years, you could see Florida State maybe winning that game. That could be a clock striking midnight kind of moment on Clemson. Possible. Not predicting that. Just possible. Miami Clemson. Notre Dame Clemson. That's on here as well. They're playing two years in a row. That's exciting. Yeah, that'll be Clemson's going to want some payback there for getting their ass stomped last year. Uh, UNC and Miami, October 14th, Clemson and UNC pay attention to that at the end of November and Florida State and Miami play, uh, I think, Veterans Day, which is really late for that game. That game doesn't have like a permanent date on the calendar, but that is pretty late for that game. Richard, one place where you could go to get merchandise for most of the schools we just talked about. That's right. Podcast business. It is Homefield Apparel. If you go to homefieldapparel.com, you will find detailed collections uh, for the vast majorities of both of these conferences. You can also find the Split Zone Duo collection there. Easy to find. Just Google Split Zone Duo Homefield. It will come right up. If you use the promo code SZD20, SED20, that's SED20. You get 20% off your first order with Homefield. We would love for you to jump on board there, as I'm sure they would as well. Also, we are going to have word soon on a little activity that we are going to do with Homefield coming up very, very soon. Uh, oh, about a month from now, as we record this, we will have advance notice on that as soon as we can. Uh, you know, fun activities with friends uh, that will be open to listeners of this show who might be interested in joining those things. That's a story, homefieldapparel.com. Thanks to them for all of their support over the years and this year. Richard, conference review season. We just talked about the future of the Atlantic Coast Conference. I think we should talk about the year that just was. Uh, we are playing Rose, Bud, Thorn. Rose, thing you really liked. Bud, you liked it. You're kind of curious about it, seeing it emerge a little bit. Thorn obviously didn't like it. Then we will do some superlatives. I will begin. 
my rose in this conference this year uh, is that my preferred team in this conference, uh, the Pitt Panthers, won nine games to make it 20 over the last two seasons. Uh, that makes Pat Narduzzi the best Pitt coach in a very, very, very long time, like probably since Jackie Sherrill long time. His last year was 81 at Pitt. Pitt won these nine games despite Narduzzi hiring a coordinator, Frank Signetti from Boston College, essentially in an act that I saw as self-sabotage of what had been one of the best offenses in the country last year with Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. (laughs) Narduzzi is stubborn as hell, and he, I don't think, believes that offense should exist. So he played man ball and totally missed a QB evaluation as well, which didn't help on Keaton Slovis, who he brought over from USC, and then kind of tossed public shade at as he was leaving, as Slovis was transferring out again uh, about how he wasn't very mobile. He couldn't really run as a quarterback, which like there were several years of tape at USC that could have told you that. Uh, Anyway, that did continue a trend of Narduzzi kind of bad mouthing or at least talking a bit negatively shading people who had left his offense, you know, Matt Canada, Mark Whipple, uh, Brennan Marion, their old receivers coach, Jordan Addison, certainly the Bolitnikoff winning uh, wide receiver there. My point is this dude is extremely stubborn. He is kind of an asshole. He is his own guy. He is unpleasant in a lot of ways, and yet he is a hell of a football coach. And to win 20 games in two years at the University of Pittsburgh in the 2020s is really, 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 really hard. They finished it off with a backup quarterback leading a comeback to beat a pretty decent UCLA team at the Sun Bowl. They finished ranked 22nd. Uh, And this guy's the perfect pit coach because he's I don't know. You shouldn't be a football coach in Pittsburgh unless you're going to be kind of a stubborn dick and win a lot of games. And that's what Pat Narduzzi does. Uh, he is going to keep that job for a very, very, very long time. Uh, Moreau's there. Uh, Moreau's for the ACC is actually Florida State. The vibes on Florida, and maybe it should have been my bud, but whatever. Like The vibes on Florida State this season are pretty immaculate. I mean, real deal immaculate. Mm-hmm. Um, they are heading into this offseason I really can't. I mean, 20, like 50, maybe maybe the year they won the orange bowl, maybe the year they beat Michigan, in the orange bowl, things were, things were as good, but I mean, things are pretty damn good right now at Florida state. If you look at Florida state's 2022 schedule, that is like the, the perfect, they won the perfect amount of nine and three in the regular season. They won the perfect amount of games in the regular season and they won the perfect, like, clip of games too right they objectively florida state lost to the best teams on its schedule right they lost to clemson wake and 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 nc state in uh three in a row two of them at home um and and they were competitive in every game they 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 were all one score games like it's not like they got blown out mm-hmm. um they absolutely smoked miami they beat Florida in a in a banger of a football game, and everybody remembers the LSU game to open the season as well. So they have legitimate pelts on the wall coming out of this season. Obviously, um, they're getting great players back. Jordan Travis back, Jared Verse back, Johnny Wilson back. Like they're getting their players back. Um, they fixed. Pro- I, w- I would say. I would say they fixed the biggest issue that they've had in the last ten years. Line offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, they've, they've at least got that in a good spot um, more than anything else. And they head into this offseason with a lot of momentum, man. Florida State's got a ton of momentum. Um, so that's the Rose and maybe the Bud, too. And I don't know. Uh, my real Bud should probably be North Carolina and Drake May. Um, 
folks, this this Drake May is a player now. This Drake May is a ball player now. I mean, like next April, April 2024, we're going to be having a conversation about Drake May. Oh, he's great. I'm going to present a counter perspective on UNC shortly, actually. But he's great. I I won't argue with you that he's great. Um, On FSU, I wanted to follow up with this. It is going to be an off season of immense talking about the Knowles. There, the Knowles will be talked oh, about yeah. so much, and I understand the impulse to get really skeptical whenever people are like firing it up like this for a helmet program that has been down. Because we always like desperately want to bring teams back, and we want to say this team's back. We talked about this during the season with both FSU and LSU. It wasn't time for FSU to be capital B back last year. It might be time this year, and it also might not be, but like people will act like it's there will be a reflexive response to this because this always happens, always, 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 of like people acting as if it is silly to think that Florida State could be a playoff type of team next year or a or at least have a year like USC just had. It's not silly. Like you're just you, No, it like, is not. No. Like they have done this gradually. It's been a slow build. They just won double digit games. Um, talking about the Knowles is more than inbounds, in my opinion, going into this year. It's not like a ridiculous, oh, you're you're dying to see the legacy program get back. I think that the pieces are are in place. Uh, Richard, I'll let you go first with your bud because it's interesting yeah, I, to me that you have the conference champion as your bud. Yeah, I I my I'm taking two buds here. One bud is indeed Drake May. I, like, I think he is a, I think this season is going to be fun for North Carolina. Um, and, and so I'm very curious about, about that. You can, you can pour the cold water on UNC, um, in a little bit. I, I'm, I'm consciously paying attention there. Um, but Clemson's offense, like, like Clemson, Dabo Sweeney just did the thing. Everybody has asked him to do for like three or four years. Like it's, he has yep. done that thing. So hiring let's Garrett see Garrett Riley. Garrett, yeah, yeah. Uh, hiring Garrett Riley's offensive coordinator. Let's see it, man. Let's see it. For God's sakes. It's, I, I, you know, th- Clemson's demise, to the extent Clemson's demise has been, ex- uh, has been exaggerated, okay, we can have that conversation. But, like, everybody knows they are not what they were at the end of Trevor Lawrence's career, okay? Everybody knows that. It's been a few years. Let's see it, man. Where's it been? What is your second act, Dabo Sweeney? Every like the great ones have a second act. The truly great ones. Nick Saban had a second act. Urban Meyer had a second act. You know what I'm saying? Like it, the great coaches find ways to reinvent themselves. For as far as staying power over the long tail, does Dabo Sweeney have that in him? I think we're about to find out. It's interesting and correct that you put it as a second act because 2018 was a long time ago. You know, the last time that Clemson was at the mountaintop and they've been in a playoff or, or two, two playoffs since then. Uh, but it's, it's no longer recent. Um, I think Alabama and Georgia have both sort of pulled well ahead at this point. So as far as Clemson, like being back to being a top two or three program in college football, yeah, that would be a second act because they have not been that for the last little stretch here. My bud, uh, and I have hinted that we need to talk about this team more uh, throughout the year, and I, I finally want to do that, is the Duke Blue Devils. Just a tremendously encouraging first year in pretty much every way for Mike Elko 
to delineate some of those improvements specifically, uh, SP Plus tells the story. They go from 81st to 60th on offense, offensive SP Plus. On defense, they go 121 to 39. On special teams, they go 85th to 48th. Overall, that translates to 113th, one of the worst teams uh, in the country, and certainly the Power Five, to 48th. And of course, most notably, and what really counts, from three and nine to nine and four. And frankly, they were closer than a lot of people realized to getting that 10th win. They probably should have had either Pitt or North Carolina. Literally everything got better for this team, like everything, everything, everything. But I want to highlight a few things in particular. The defense dialed way, way, way back on man-to-man stuff. They started playing lots of cover three, lots of cover four, which had the effect of drastically cutting back on how often this team got torched. I think that there's something there where if you're Duke, you just do not have, let's say, the cornerbacks and the safeties in high supply to beat some of the better offenses in this conference. And Elko has figured out a way to mitigate the damage uh, that can be done to Duke at a talent disadvantage on defense. Very opportunistic defense. Their third down conversion rate went down from about 49% to 43. Fourth downs, by the way, they held def- they held offenses to 11 for 26 on fourth down, which is an incredible way to flip games, um, to make that many turnovers on downs. They'd given up 75% of their fourth downs the year before. So just opportunism, which also might have a little bit of luck in it, was really important for Duke this year. Riley Leonard, the quarterback, got leaps and bounds better. He had played sporadically okay in his first year, uh, only through six picks, which was the big thing. And this was a good turnovers team. They didn't really throw it far down the field. It was a lot of dink and dunk, but they let routes develop a little bit. It wasn't like just the David Cutcliffe thing. You know, like how David Cutcliffe's deal is like, I'm the QB whisperer. Well, I don't, he doesn't say this, but people talk about Cutcliffe. Like, yeah, but he does not say that. Like people, people say that. People talk about David Cutcliffe like he's a quarterback whisperer. And he would, and what that would mean the last couple of years at Duke is like the quarterback would just take the snap and throw it in like a second. I mean, or two, but like very, very quickly. And it was just get the ball out of your hands. I think they did a little bit more varied downfield stuff this year. They had four different runners, including the quarterback, between 400 and 600 rush yards. Nice depth there. And a lot of guys returning, uh, Guys with some, some guys with extra years, like Jalen Coleman, one of their running backs. There just aren't a ton of big problems here either with transfers leaving, which is important because I'm not sure how easily they can transfer all the players that they would want in uh, because they're they a tough did, school. They did have – they had some fluky results though, yeah? Sure. Sure, they they could have lost more games than they did, but I think, like I said, against like Pitt and Duke, they had games that they could have won that they left on the table. I, th- I think if you were looking at the games that they won that were more toss-up-y, uh, Wake Forest at the end of the year was a big one of those. And actually, as I go back and look over it, because I just pulled it up, I think that might have just been it. it, was just the one that I remembered. I don't see anything else here that looks like they really should have taken an L at. Northwestern, uh, which turned out to be a really bad team, stayed within eight of them, uh, but Duke was not in in huge danger of losing that game, so I Did don't they know. They didn't overtime. They they won an overtime against somebody, right? Eh, they might have. It's possible. Um, I should have gone back over the that is the outcomes of the games. We'll but uh, this is the thing about Duke over over the next couple of years that is kind of intriguing. I, I think that you're about at the ceiling. Like we know what Duke football is. Uh, it's it's hard to win football games at this school. It. it hasn't really been done in any significant supply, Richard, since, oh, I don't know what I'd be saying, since since the guy who went on to be the coach at, at your alma mater, 
the University of Florida was there. Actually, no, Steve Spurrier only won eight games this last year at Duke. Um, so really, but yeah. rem- but yeah. remember, that's you got to grade that with a curve for late 1980s Duke. Remember that. Uh, Duke, you know, it's hard to it's it is hard to win games at Duke. Um, Cutcliffe got to double digit wins in 2013, which was which was really something. But otherwise, Duke has not done better than the nine wins that it got this season in oh richard very 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 many years uh i am still scrolling uh and holy shit <laughs> wow they've only won 10 games once in the history of the program so my point my point holds like what if you're already at the ceiling so what what does it look like the next few years obviously if they just kept doing this that would be awesome uh but this is it's hard to run in place in this sport and people talk about that a lot coaches talk about that a lot so i just i do wonder what the next act will be but for now there's there's nothing to say but it was a hell of a first season yeah and i don't think anybody really really and truly saw that coming nah okay are we on to thorns here yeah we're on to thorns and i hope you take the obvious one for us come on now miami enough like this is i i can understand if you were going to tell me that Miami was um, my, that Miami was behind schedule a little bit or, or not ahead of schedule, however you want to say that, right? I can understand if that was your stance um, throughout the season. Miami went five and seven, all right? There's a difference between missing the mark, maybe pulling an eight and four, or even a seven and five, man. Miami missed a bowl game this season. Dude, Miami, <laughs> Miami lost one of the like most dreck football games um, to AM. And then the next week, and I'm sure you will cover this ground in a second here, lost to Middle Tennessee at home. At home. Yeah, we'll we'll, like, we'll it, get to that in our superlatives of this review, no doubt. And Mario Cristobal, God bless him, man, tried to say this was like a media thing of like the media blowing Miami up too much. Like, no, I'm not having that. No, I'm not having that. Dude, they lost to Florida state by 40 points, dude. They lost to Duke by 20. They lost to Clemson by 30. They lost to Pitt by 28. Also, like it's like they hired this guy. They basically took a dump on the head of a perfectly respected, though not very successful head coach there, Manny Diaz, who who they kept in purgatory for like an entire week while it was clear that they were trying to hire Mario Cristobal from Oregon. They they blew this up like it was this, and it, and it was, I mean, it, it was like this big blockbuster hire in the same genre as Lincoln Riley to USC or Brian Kelly to LSU. And those guys figured it out a little bit, how to put a decent year one product on the field. And I, I talked to some Miami fans over the course of the season who would, who made some reasonable pushback points that, you know, the roster wasn't as good as like recruiting ratings, team they talent. lost to Middle Tennessee at home. Right. You're the University of Miami. Have some pride. Have man. some pride. Uh, I, I completely agree. Also, and you have to look at it this way. Mario Cristobal's record of overall recruiting is excellent and he is going to get guys at Miami. We know this. Nobody is saying he's not going to do that. They're going to have the dudes at some point to have a really good team. But there's still a couple things about this guy that are that like the jury is not only out on, but I think the verdict is in and it's not good. Um, at least at least on game management, he's bad at this. Um, at some point they're going to like have a bunch of five stars who are really good and they're going to lose some game because he blew all of his timeouts with like 
two minutes left in the third quarter and then made a bad punt decision or something like that. He's a poor game <laughs> manager at the end of close games. Oregon fans' heads will explode if you ask them to talk about how he handled that part of his job there. But also Tyler Van Dyke's regression this year was highly discouraging and is extra discouraging when you consider that like Mario never got a ton out of his quarterback, even when that quarterback was Justin Herbert, who was a good college football player. But like Justin Herbert went to the NFL and I don't know, Richard, all of your scheme friends in the NFL, how, how do they view Justin Herbert versus how college football people view Justin Herbert? Justin, like, Justin Herbert's um, the, tr- well, one of the traits he's, he's no Trevor Lawrence, but, but he's he great. is right. He's no Trevor Lawrence, but he's, he's and fine. Um, I don't know. So I have questions about, I, mean, I think he'll figure it out, but it was a discouraging season. Had to be. It w- uh, you will note Josh Gaddis fired this week. Um, it's kind of a weird time to fire an offensive coordinator in that. Look, we've all seen plenty of, you know, the post signing day kind of things, but this was pre second signing day. Um, and, and, you know, it's something that had kind of been talked about since like October, November because of people who had consternations about the offense, but yeah, man, offense never worked. Was not good. Was not fun. What? Like I, I just, it's not supposed to be this. It was not supposed to be this with this guy. Yeah. The vibes are bad. The vibes are bad. We'll see what 2023 brings for that team. Uh, My thorn is going to be, I don't know, Richard, you tell me if it's an asshole move. I'm going to take North Carolina, the winners of the coastal here. Uh, It's not really fair, but bear with me for a minute. Um, They did finish with five losses uh, and they were a tough five losses because four of them were very much down the stretch. Do you remember, Richard, there was a time not all that long ago Uh, when I I think that as of mid-November, like the week before Thanksgiving, North Carolina had a pseudo plausible path to the college football playoff. Uh, They were nine and one at one point. uh, And then they obviously lost four games coming home. So maybe that does make it fair to to put them on this list here. But the reason that I am skeptical um, and that I see them as a pretty strong regression candidate to win less than the game amount that they did this year uh, is that they seem like they don't have a foundation that really goes beyond Drake May. And having Drake May gets you a lot. Like, he's great. Again, we're not, no one's contesting that. He'll be back. That's cool. Josh Downs will not be back. That's not cool. That's the best receiver on this team. The the receiver who did the most business with Drake May last year. The young running backs will still be there, I believe. And that's that's a positive. But I want you to think about this. North Carolina had the same offensive line, the same five-man unit on the field for 12 games and almost 900 plays this year. But we knew they weren't good. This offensive line was good. You had a great receiver. You had some good running backs going with this tremendous quarterback, Drake May. And you had these maulers up front who, by the way, were all, all like seniors and grad transfers. It was a very veteran very healthy offensive line that is now going to be pretty much gone. I, I I don't, it's so hard at this point in the off season to definitively say that even seniors and grad students are done. Oh my done God. Yeah. I have no idea. People just no find extra years of eligibility under the Christmas tree, <laughs> but that line is going to largely fall apart. If not completely, uh, the offensive coordinator, Phil Longo went to Wisconsin. Uh, so it is chip Lindsay time at offensive coordinator for Carolina. Uh, you can choose to be excited about that. He maybe, uh, maybe uh, it's not, it's not one of those like splashy ones that gets you like 
really worked up and excited uh, about it. Gene Chizik still runs a really, really bad defense. And there will be I, a that that defense got better over the course of the season. And you know it. I, that Richard, defense Richard, got finished, better over the Richard, course of the season. So they finished 105th. I understand plus. that. But they also gave up like 150 points through the first, you know, four ish games or whatever the hell it, it is was. true that it and got better. It got better over the course of the season. I think they deserve credit for that. It is true that it got better. Uh, that included giving up. 21 points in in a loss, which wasn't the defense's fault, to Georgia Tech, giving up 30 to NC State without Devin Leary, by the way, uh, giving up 39 to Clemson. That's not great. uh, Not great at all. uh, And giving up 28 in the bowl loss to Oregon, which, yeah, that's a perfectly solid showing. Uh, They were, they they went into, they were, they they had an outside chance to make the college football playoff at Veterans Day. Yes. They did. No, they, I just said that. And then what happened? This is the problem. Uh, The thing that I wonder about, though, and like if Godfrey were here, God, I think Godfrey and I have a fundamental disagreement about this. And Godfrey, by the way, will be back shortly, uh, including, we believe, with some Patreon stuff this week. If if Godfrey were here, he would say that Phil Longo, the very pacey offensive coordinator, he would say that him leaving for Wisconsin will be good for North Carolina's defense because it might mean longer possessions and a little bit more of a respite for that defense. But I'm not really sure about that. Like There are defenses that play opposite offenses that go really fast that are a lot better than North Carolina's defenses have been the last couple of years under both Jay Bateman and now Gene Chizik. And I'm just not sure how much I see it as an excuse for not being able to play defense at even a decent level. You, you add that the offensive line is that was a huge strength for this team is going bye-bye, at least for the most part, that Drake is losing his best receiver. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, Mac has done overall a pretty pretty quality job there. I mean, it's been some some perfectly good years of UNC football, but I'm I'm going into the offseason not feeling chipper about the ACC Coastal Champs. That's just me. One of the things one of the things I am feeling chipper about is one Chip Lindsay, the offensive coordinator now at North Carolina. Okay. And I say that I say that because I think North Carolina is hopefully going to have or get a better and more solid run game base for Drake may to cook off of or cook on top of I like, look, man, I'm going to like, I am, I am extremely bullish on Drake May as a football player. Like I, it really, really good, really, really talented, um, really creative too. That's why, that's what I think is most interesting about him. He's a very creative player. Um, so it, we'll see, we'll see I, on defense. I will, I will give you that on defense. Lord knows you really it's a box of chocolates on defense um and and sometimes it ain't a good one we're gonna find out i'm i'm very curious about it uh richard messy games of the year as we do acc superlatives you want to go first yeah miami virginia four overtimes to settle this which is a war crime uh this game went into the fourth quarter went into the first fourth quarter tied at three um, we had field goal of Palooza the entire game. There were uh, zero, zero touchdowns scored. If you're playing along at home in this entire game, uh, Jake Garcia had a two point conversion to win the game 14 12 in four overtimes uh, at Virginia. Miami, Virginia is absolutely my messy game of the year. Uh, not the only messy game that Miami played this year. Not the only game that Miami played this year that was a huge mess. Uh, we could just do an entire Miami game, 
memorial category here. Um, but I want to just go back over the Middle Tennessee thing because I think it's going to be – it'll go down as the ugliest performance by any team in college football season. I mean that sincerely. Week four, Middle Tennessee 45, Miami 31. Middle's touchdowns in this game were a pick six, a 71-yard touchdown with about 40 yards after the catch, a 69-yard touchdown with about half of that after the catch, a 98-yard touchdown, again, all in the same game here. Middle Tennessee for the year had 10 offensive plays of 69 yards or more, and four of them, four of those 10 69-yard-plus plays, nice, were against Miami because they also had an 89-yard non-touchdown in this game. Miami almost gave up another one of those things for a touchdown. And you might think, wow, you know, surely Middle Tennessee had like a pretty good passing offense, at least like, you know, (laughs) sure, they're a Conference USA team, but they must have done this. No, 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 no. This was one of the least explosive passing offenses in the country by almost any measure over the course of the entire season. And yet they were putting up like high school varsity team playing the freshman team type stats uh, against Miami's defense throwing the football. It was excruciating. You, you, We might never see a game like this again. Uh, also, their week eight loss, Miami to Duke 45-21 with eight turnovers by Miami in that game. Uh, that goes up there. There are some other possible picks here. Virginia Tech 27, Boston College 10 in a game that had 17 combined punts and that Boston College had an NCAA accredited four rushing yards. Yes, that's because of sacks, <laughs> but like that's fine, but like still not good. You know, you're not you're you're not really looking for four rushing yards. Uh, there were a number of teams in this conference this year that just had very tough, ugly seasons. Boston College being near the top of that list. Virginia Tech probably being at the top of it. Georgia Tech got better certainly under Brent Key, who will hang around. Um, Virginia's season became about something much different than football um, at the end of the year with the horrible murders of of three Virginia football players. And it was just like a horrifying way for that year to end. So I think we need to talk about what Tony Elliott's going to do there in much different terms than, than football for the next little bit. He's got a bigger job. Um, but elsewhere in this conference, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of dregs this year. Um, Syracuse finished seven and six. They did win a bowl game um, to, to put a stop to a six game slide after they had started six and oh, or excuse me, I have it backwards. They won their last regular season game, but lost their bowl game. But anytime you start six and oh, and then finish seven and six, you're not going to be especially happy. So Richard, I guess I would, I would say for the ACC, a lot of it, probably a lot of angst at a lot of different programs going into the off season. Yeah, I think there's angst about um, broadly the future of this league. I mean, I, like I don't, in a football sense, the future of this league and what, what comes next. Um, less than like, look, we understand the, the hitters are always going to be there. Um, the four or so teams who take it seriously. I'm talking about the rest of them. Uh, the rest of that league. And, you know, we'll cross that bridge and we come to it over the next few years. We will. Uh, actual game of the year in this conference. Uh, for me, it was Clemson 51, Wake Forest 45. I like a game where every cornerback on the field on both teams is helpless. And this was like a Globetrotters game on both sides, like with with, with both offenses. Um, Bell Collins for Clemson in particular really balled out in this game. Wake always has multiple really good receivers now who are way better than you would think Wake Forest receivers would be. And this game was a highlight of that. Um, and obviously things 
at some point kind of went sour for every team in this league, except for Florida State after their three-game losing streak. But I enjoyed watching that game. This was also, if you'll remember, around the same time that uh, college football Twitter was in a hizzy because Aaron Judge was was chasing the home run record. Oh, and this Jesus. game kept people getting, did not kept getting cut into. People were very upset. So just you know, what a memory. We'll we'll have that for all time. Um. Yeah. It's- you people will never let that go. Um, okay. I, I'm going to go actual game of the year, Florida State, Florida. Um, this, it was unironically an absolute belter of a game. It is one of those games where you watch it and you think, wow, this guy took it upon himself to not lose that game. And that is a very special, like I, Jordan Travis was fucking nuts in this game absolutely insane in this game um neither honestly neither quarterback did much uh did really did much of anything through the air uh, the stat lines passing are not awesome but the second order plays that jordan travis had to evade sacks to continue drives um the tit for tat uh, uh that this was um going shot for shot really from like the first possession in this game i love that it was on friday it was on black friday night it was in its own um its own uh its own time slot obviously it's a rivalry that that means a lot to me um and and seeing it on that stage even though these teams have not been lord knows for for a few years here at least at the same time uh was pretty special and pretty unique it was really really fun uh that game i agree with you and i'm happy for you that this old rivalry has at least on on both sides of it in this case but like the, i hope that floor i hope that your guys improve a little bit over the next couple of years and that Florida, Florida state can be like the Thanksgiving weekend institution. Well, I, it, it ain't going to be on black Friday this year because the state university based in Gainesville is not, was not exactly thrilled about that, uh, that change. Ooh, but I look forward to hearing more about that this season. Uh, STD dudes of the year. I'm taking Jordan Travis, uh, consider this. And this is by the way, a, a great pull from David Hale of ESPN. Um, who, who flagged this down in a tweet. So full credit to him. Over his last 19 starts across the last two years, he has basically been Jameis Winston statistically uh, during like the, the height of Jameis's powers at Florida State. Now that's cheap because it was harder for quarterbacks in Jameis's years to put up big stats. We now live in a world where the passer rating record gets broken pretty much every year. And it's worth considering that. But nobody's saying that Jordan Travis is is Jameis Winston of Florida State, uh, though in some ways that's great. You don't want to be. Uh, also, if you watch the games, this guy just looked really in control. He looked smooth. He was a steady leader and operator for this team, and it is you know the chief reason I think out of all the big all the reasons, and there are a lot of good ones why there's going to be a lot of belief in the Nulls going into this this upcoming season. Um, I'm taking. Drake may as previously stated as my SCD dude of the year, the creativity that he plays the game with or that he plays the quarterback position with uh, is, is really fun, really interesting and really unique. Um, I am, I think I'm going to take him as a, as a Heisman. And I don't think dark horse is the word for it, but um, everybody's going to be looking at Caleb Williams heading into next season. Look at it. Drake may baby. Bully for you and bully for Drake. Uh, Richard, we go on to review the American Athletic Conference as we close the book on the ACC. Uh, let's let's go off the top here about the about the AAC this year. Wasn't a great year for every team in this league except for one. Like we spent a lot of time kind of going through superlative candidates for this league, and 
there's obvious pickings in one area and there's slim pickings in a lot of other areas. Uh, and so we will talk about this league and try to survey where it is uh, as, as it changes composition significantly for 2023. But the Rose is the Rose. And it is hard other than the Tulane Green Wave to find a team in this league that was, wow, like they are, they are thrilled. They are happy after this year. I really don't think you can find one unless you're saying, oh, Houston, oh, UCF, they're, they're, you're thrilled. And Cincinnati, you're thrilled that you're leaving and you're going to the Big 12 because you are thrilled. But just on 2022 quality of the season terms, I think it's, I think it's just the green wave. Yeah, man, it's just too late. It's when you win your when you win in one of your first conference championships since uh you know um I, I think that's yeah man and and you know I saw Willie Fritz at uh, at the coaches convention talked to him for a little bit Willie Fritz was I mean the bell of the ball at the coaches convention and and everybody you know great job great season all that kind of stuff for what they did um you know we will I think get to the Cotton Bowl in a little bit here um. And how that ended. I thought the, the ACC or the, excuse me, the AAC championship game was also quite a belter. Um, so it keep tabs on that. Um, but I, I, he was, it, it was a lot of fun, man. It was, it's a lot of fun when a team like this has a season like that. I, um, I put them in my cotton bowl, bowl. I, I do bowl projections. First of all, I do bowl projections every week for SI do not ever ever take my bowl projection seriously except for the fact that i had Tulane in the cotton bowl in like september i think uh, because again that is how seriously i take bowl projections and um so somebody from Tulane texted me and basically there was like I- I- i'll bet you a bottle of you know a, a nice liquor um, <laughs> if Tulane is, if we are actually in the cotton bowl and Tulane was actually in the cotton bowl. So, uh, bully for me, uh, but it was fun, man. It was fun. And, and you love to see a season like that. And it redeemed a conference this year. That was not, not awesome. No. And, and to give Tulane even more of its flowers, like Tajay Spears in that run game were awesome. They really did some serious, serious heavy lifting talked about this right after they won the cotton bowl but sometimes you miss the podcast they beat the big 12 champ they beat kansas state earlier in the year they beat caleb williams and the heisman and and usc they beat every one of the aac's big 12 defectors it's it's hard to do it in a more bulletproof way than tulane did this year like there i i i don't like it when uh skepticism is cast on a, a G5 team that wins a lot of games and it's like they can't hack it with the big boys. Tulane hacked it with the big boys, both the current big boys and the schools that are on their way to becoming bigger boys in, in a power conference in the Big 12. Uh, also, Michael Pratt, the quarterback's coming back. They had some good receivers who are really adept at getting open. Defense was was pretty strong. It wasn't just it wasn't just Tajay Spears and a run game. Um, so fantastic. I mean, a dream season for Tulane. Really happy for everyone there. If you haven't listened to it yet, Dead Letters Tulane, the history of the long arc of that program and their downfall and their and the, I guess now the postscript is their rise is available on our Patreon and on this feed if you scroll back a couple of weeks. Bud time in this conference, Richard. Hard to pick here. The thing that wasn't awesome all year, but that you were curious about, 
seeing a little kernel of excitement, uh, we're I'm following you on this one. <laughs> well, I think, look, man, there weren't a lot of weren't a lot to keep tabs or uh, weren't, weren't a lot to pick from. I should say, um, I'll take SMU. Um, I, I think SMU finished the season on a heater. Uh, went four and one coming home. Um, I got smoked by Tulane, but did go four and one at home uh, against who? Well, you know, whatever. That's a different story. Um, had a hell of a game, I, which I think we're going to get to a little bit later, um, where they beat Houston in actually up a college basketball game um, and then lost in the bowl game, I believe, by like one um, by one point to BYU. So I will take SMU because, you know, you have to take somebody. Uh, you do. And I'm going to follow you there. Um, I think there were points in the season where it looked like SMU was really going to have a pretty hard decline under Rhett Lashley and like things were not going to be able to continue at the you know upper class of the conference where they had been under Sonny Dykes. It was a very encouraging conclusion. And also uh, something that I think a friend of the show, Chris Vanini, has written about recently at The Athletic. They are recruiting their asses off right now at SMU. Uh, and I'm sure doing that fully above board this time. Just playing. I hope you're not SMU. We love you guys. I hope I, I uh, hope you're cheating your yeah, ass. I hope, hope you guys are cheating. I mean, that's what you should be doing at a place like SMU. You got to respect history. Um, but they are recruiting their asses off and are going to have some very very good players, both prep and transfer, uh, coming to join them. So, reason for optimism uh, at SMU for sure. But just to kind of accentuate uh, what we say about it's really hard to pick other buds, other roses here. Like, just go through go through this conference this year. All right, Tulane, great. Uh, I don't think UCF is thrilled about losing five games and not having an awesome offense. Uh, I don't think Cincinnati was thrilled about losing four games. Obviously, it was kind <laughs> of, kind of, or in their head coach. Um, I don't think that they expected to be back in the playoff this year, but it's not exciting to go from no, you know, one one bowl loss in two years and that's it to uh, to losing five uh, four games. Houston regressed significantly. Uh, Navy wound up firing its coach. Memphis, a lot of fans wish they'd have fired their coach. Tulsa fired their coach. Temple had a tough first year, as expected, under Stan Drayden. USF fired their coach. The only other possibility here that I even see is East Carolina uh, winning eight games again under Mike Houston. And that would maybe be a fair choice. I think ECU continuing to stabilize after a pretty good year last year as well is a good story. But like, this was a hard year in the American and, uh, you know, you add that a lot of the best teams in this league are leaving. And I don't know, Richard talked about how there's some angst in the, the ACC right now. I think there might be a bit of it in the AAC because you see programs that would like to be at the top of this league that aren't. Oh, and maybe it's time for thorns. Um, so I'm going thorns here, specifically Houston's defense. Um, if you were an over better this season, <laughs> you cashed on Houston. The over in Houston games went 10 and three this season. One of the worst or best, depending on how you swing it, um, records, total records this season. Um, Houston, Houston's defensive coordinator is a sharp cat. Doug Belk was a finalist for a job on Georgia staff, was a finalist for a job on Alabama staff. Um, the guy did not forget how to coach defense, but they struggled. <laughs> they struggled on that side of the uh, on that side of the ball. Where I think you are going to talk about um, 
Uh, are you talking about the, oh no, uh, oh, SM, yes. You're going to talk about SME Houston. Sorry, I'm looking at the notes right now. Um, we'll really crystallize the defensive performance of Houston this season. But yeah, that's my, that's my thorn. It was a rough year on that side of the ball for the Cougars. Uh, my thorn in this conference is Memphis running it back with Ryan Silverfield at head coach. Um, you guys better, yeah, you hope, were all over this. You guys better hope this one works or you will have wasted, wasted your first year in a new AAC where you could be regaining a foothold and getting established near the top of what's going to have to be a new pecking order. We've gone over this a lot, and I guess it's a miss by me because I was really zeroing in on this and thinking, oh, you got to watch this. They might fire this guy. And then they lost the games that would lead to that, and then they didn't. I gather because they didn't think they could afford the buyout or didn't want to pay the buyout. From 2014 to 2019, so that's the start of the playoff era, to 2019, Mike Norvell's last year, Memphis wins 57 games, loses 23. That's seven more wins than any other team in the American, uh, and it includes an appearance in a Fiesta Bowl. They don't have the same high highs in those years as UCF or Houston, but they are the most consistently good team in the best conference in the group of five. Things are very, very good under Justin Fuente, and they stay good under Mike Norvell. All is great. 2020, pandemic year, weird year. Silverfield takes over. From then until 2022, they are 21 and 15, fifth best record in this conference, limited to just the last two years. So you take out the weirdness of the biggest COVID interrupted year of 2020, and you get a little bit further out from Norvell and Norvell's players, and they are 13 and 12, seventh best in the American over the last two years. I was surprised when they didn't fire him because as I telegraphed a lot on the show over the course of the year, you look at this athletic department, the swings that they have taken in basketball, their very public ambition and disappointment that they did not get into the Big 12. And you just see a school that you don't think is going to settle. And Memphis, for buyout reasons or other, is just going to try this again um, for year four under Silverfield. And it might work. Like, I don't think he's a bad football coach by any stretch. He was the offensive line coach on those really, really good Memphis offenses. But we got to see something, man. Like, I don't think this is an optimistic fan base right now going into the year. And if Tulane and UTSA and UAB and SMU are the teams running this new conference and getting all of the recruiting benefits that come with that after Cincinnati, Houston, et cetera, leave, UCF leaves, that's a missed opportunity. So there are a lot of chips in this Ryan Silverfield basket right now for the Memphis Tigers. Uh, Richard, you want to take us for the messy game of the year, your messy game of the year in this conference? I'm going to take you all the way back to, I believe, week one, uh, ECU NC State. Um, kind of an ugly ball game, some turnovers, some slop. There was a funny, um, I think, fumble six returned um, by one of the defenses in this game. But really, we we got to go right to the end. Um, <laughs> golly. ECU's kicker misses a late extra point and then misses a late chip shoddy field goal um, to to take the L in this game. Remember, this game was at home. This game was in uh, at ECU. They had a chance to do what they had kind of which they've done in the past, which is be a giant killer. Yeah. topple an in-state team be uh be an absolute pest to somebody in state um the place was rocking you could tell 
Um, NC State was, for the most part, in control, but ECU battled back in this game, battled back in, and we had a college kicker scenario at the end here uh, that ECU lost the game on. We did. Felt very bad for the Pirates and their fans. Uh, actually, and I've had a couple of tough losses this year that were at home and of that of that vintage, so hard to see, but it happens. Uh, I think my messy game of the year has to be, but kind of messy in a good way, uh, the SMU-Houston game in Week 10. It was SMU 77, Houston 63. Richard, you just talked about Houston's defense. This game had 1,350 yards of offense. Tanner Mordecai had nine touchdown passes, no picks, one sack taken, and a 98.2 QBR. That's out of 100 at 10.2 yards per throw. Clayton Toon, in a loss, had 527 yards and seven touchdowns, got picked three times, and that was kind of the the reason why this was a 14-point loss, but also threw in another 111 yards on the ground and a touchdown there. Uh, Let me just give you the drive chart here in order for this game. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. That's seven in a row to start if you're keeping score at home. Interception, touchdown, interception, touchdown, 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 touchdown. That's five. Missed field goal, (laughs) touchdown, touchdown, turnover on downs, punt, touchdown, 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 interception, end of game. That's three different times in this game where there were streaks of at least five possessions in a row. And one of them was seven in which a touchdown was scored. The total was 66. Houston, to reiterate, nearly hit that total on its own and lost by 14 points anyway. You can't get that in the NFL, Richard Johnson. You can't get it in the National Football League. <laughs> that, is, that is true. You, you are not getting that in the NFL. I will give you that. Uh, actual game of the year, the best in the biz. Uh, it's the Cotton Bowl in which Tulane beat USC. Let's let's just let's just be clear about this one. Though I think you're right that the the redux for Tulane against UCF after they had lost them and then beat them in the conference championship was a fun <laughs> game as well. Although Tulane really took control at the end. Uh, this was exciting. Uh, you, obviously, Tulane had to come back to beat USC. Michael Pratt, the quarterback, had to race for a fourth down conversion that was really close to preserve the last drive for them. Uh, And they ultimately did punch into the end zone with just a couple of seconds left at Jerry world. USC took the game as far as I could tell pretty seriously, right? Like it didn't seem like USC Williams played. So yeah, they took it seriously. Like they had injuries. I don't think everybody played in that game, but yeah, I don't think Jordan Addison played if I recall correctly. Addison, Addison did not, and I think their best offensive lineman, uh, Andrew Voorhees, did not play in that game either. But like, it was not like they mailed it in to the extent that you see some teams just kind of opting out mentally, not not even talking physically, but just like not really caring about, about bowls. And Tulane got them, and it was a thrilling game, great moment for the conference, and uh, most importantly, great moment for Tulane and Willie Fritz, SCD dude of the year, Richard. Uh, I'm going Tank Dell, Tank Dell of Houston. Um, was electric. He was the most prolific receiver in college football this year. It was absolutely insane. Um, as a as a, a home run threat for Houston this season. Uh, Alex just mentioned what that defense has done, or excuse me, what that offense did. Um, in in uh, in the SMU game. Sorry, 
he was really good. He was really fun. Um, could return as well. I think he had a punt return touchdown at one point in time this season. Um, an electric player. Yeah. Uh, dude, he almost had 1,400 receiving yards. Uh, led the nation in receiving yards and touchdowns this season. Caught a absolute metric shitload of balls. Almost led the country in uh, in receptions as well. Fantastic player. Um, how he transitions to the NFL will be fascinating just because he's pretty small. But yeah. I think there's a place for him in the NFL. Um, we'll we'll find out but he's like a stick of dynamite so i hope that there's a place for him uh and for me we, we're gonna keep with the two-lane theme because again this was a two-lane conference this year ty j spears uh that was easy crazy good player you know he carved up the america in the last two years but i want to spotlight one thing in particular first three power five games of his career against power five opponents he averaged 3.3 2.5 and 2.9 yards per carry then he goes and hits up USC for a cool 205 on 17 carries with four touchdowns and goes off and declares for the draft after the game. This is a man who waited for his time and took advantage of it, went over 100 yards in nine of his 14 appearances this year. Only once did he have more than 24 carries, so it wasn't even just that he was a volume shooter. He ran for almost seven yards a carry, saved his next best games after USC for UCF in the conference title game and for Cincinnati. You'll notice those are the last three games of the season. Again, best for last. From Thanksgiving onward, 585 rush yards in three games, easily leading the country, finishes at almost 1,600 for the year, gets better to go, gets better considerably as the year goes on. That is a money football player. That is a finisher and a memorable, memorable college football running back. Uh, Richard, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as we talked about, Godfrey will be back shortly. We are actually also going to have planning to have a couple of things for Patreon subscribers this week that I hope you'll enjoy at splitzoneduo.com. Uh, we talk about the Patreon a lot. Um, I'm looking forward to February, March, April, May, etc. Now that we've been able to kind of get a little distance from the season to really kind of kick up the creativity uh, and our output there and have a lot of good stuff for you if you are uh, subscribing at splitzoneduo.com. It is a great way, not just to support the show, but we think more importantly for you to give you a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff to listen to that we think you'll find is of a high quality. So I think I'll sign off with that. Richard, you got anything else before you send us off into the sunset for the week? Uh, no, I'm out of here.